Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being at Solace Church this morning. We're starting a new series today called No Other Name. And we're going to talk over the next few weeks about what it, what it looks like in Scripture for Jesus himself to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to look at that through the birth narrative, through the whole story of Christmas. And I'm excited to share that with you in just a few minutes. If you're a guest visiting with us, man, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, and uh, you started good time in this, uh, in this season because it's the beginning of the series. And so I hope that you'll stay with us for this whole series uh, as this unfolds. And if you're watching online at solacechurch.com, I'm glad that you're tuning in today. Let's, uh, let's spend a minute talking about this whole idea of, of no other name. I, I don't know if you stop for a moment to consider the significance of a name, your name, or any name for that matter. But a name is significant in and of itself. It's an identifier, for sure. And, and think, about, think about you for a moment. You are incredibly significant and incredibly insignificant, You are significant in that never before has there been anyone like you. Your DNA is unique among all humanity. And there will never be another you. And so you are significant in that God uniquely made you. However, you are also insignificant. In that, um, there's a whole lot of us called humans. The human race is, is... It's huge. It's large. Think think about this for a moment. Some researchers have calculated that since the beginning of humanity, there have been about 108 billion people born on planet Earth. 108 billion people. So while you are unique and significant in and of the fact that there will never be someone like you, there's a whole bunch of us on the planet right now. There are about seven, what, 7.1, 7.2 billion people on the planet. So if you think about that in comparison, about 6 to 7% of, of, of the human race is existing right now on the planet. Um, that's, that's a pretty significant amount of people, but 108 billion is a lot of people to exist on the planet. And here's something else. Um, do you know that it only takes about 140 years for people to completely forget about you. Isn't that encouraging on Christmas? You're like, thanks for that encouraging message, Matt. I'm really, really glad I showed up today at Solace Church. That's right. About the time your grandkids roll around and they have kids, you're off the radar. No one talks about you anymore. And so while you may be a big deal right now, pretty soon you won't be a big deal. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? For someone to last in terms of their name and their legacy for generations and generations and generations, it has to be a pretty significant event in their life or series of events in their life for that to happen. And sometimes we remember people because of the things that they did that were wrong and evil. And, but sometimes we remember people for how they lived sacrificially, how they gave them themselves. Appreciate Ancestry.com trying to, uh, trying to allow us to be remembered for many, many generations, but it ain't happening. I want to I take you back to an event some 2,000 years ago. You know it as the Christmas narrative, but just for a moment, I want you to think about the birth of a child in Bethlehem. His name was Jesus. Jesus didn't even have a last name. It was just Jesus. He was Jesus of Bethlehem before he was Jesus of Nazareth. And he would be called Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. 
It's interesting about his name. He was born in Bethlehem. And about 30-something years after his birth, some very interesting things develop in the city of Jerusalem in the nation of Israel. As this series gets started, I want to take you 30-something years beyond his birth to show you what was taking place just after he left this world. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5 to be precise. I want to show you from, from the Bible, from Scripture, some things that's transpiring in the first century surrounding the name of Jesus. So for context, let me catch you up. The book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke is a physician, but he's certainly a historian in nature. He writes the Gospel of Luke and the companion book, the book of Acts. And Luke is, is recounting for us the events that take place just after Jesus ascend, ascends into heaven. Now, Luke's going to record for us how the apostles or disciples conduct themselves and how, how the message of Jesus, how the story of his life begins to spread through Jerusalem and through Israel and ultimately even throughout the Roman Empire. This story that we're going to read happens very early on in the, in the, in the storytelling of what we call the gospel or the story of Jesus. I want to start in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 for context. Start with me there. One day, Peter and John. Now, who are Peter and John? Peter was a, was a follower of Jesus. He's called a disciple. He was very close to Jesus during about three years of Jesus' life. John was as well. They would be considered some of Jesus' closest friends or what we would call the inner circle. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a cripple, a man crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked up, or looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. All right, so the story is pretty obvious at this point. A man is crippled from birth. Um, he is not able to walk. He begs for a living. He meets Peter and John, and he says, do you have any money? And they say no. And I've heard this phrase and, 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 and loved this verse in Scripture where Peter said, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold, but I do have something to give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man was instantly healed. It's called a miracle in Scripture. It is a moment in time when, when, it, when, it, when, when God, um, uh, uh, in his sovereignty and power through, through, through these disciples, they, uh, they, they uh, are partnered with God to allow this man who could not walk to now be able to walk. Now this man goes with Peter and John to the temple. 
Crowds of people see this miracle take place. It wasn't done uh, behind closed doors. It was done in the public. This man walks with them to the temple. And the crowds that day were amazed at what they had just seen. And they were, they were trying to process what did we just witness. Now, we're going to skip the next part of chapter 3 because I'm going to come back to it next week when we talk about the message Peter gives to the crowd that day. Peter basically says that, that what you have witnessed is miraculous. It was done in the name of Jesus and this was foretold a long time ago that this man Jesus would come. The crowds are taking this in and there's another group of people also taking in what is, what is, what is being done in the temple on this day. Now, The story picks up in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And I want to read to you part of that story in Acts 4, verse number 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. Stop. Who's there? The priest. Those who are involved in in carrying out the daily worship and sacrificial practices at the temple. The priest. The captain of the temple guard. The person in charge of making sure that the temple area is secure. Guards were in place because there were, there, were, there were opportunities along the way for there to be uprisings and for there to be chaos that took place at the temple. The guards were in charge of making sure there was order in the temple. The captain of the guard was one who was in charge of those taking care uh, of order at the temple courts. And the Sadducees were there. Sadducees were a religious group of people. They did not believe in the resurrection. They were a powerful religious uh, group in the first century in Jerusalem. These individuals came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him or put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, this is important. If you're underlining things, just, just take note of this idea that when Peter gave this message, the number of Christ followers, the numbers of followers of the way had grown to 5,000 people. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was also a high priest. John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone. And then a verse of scripture that is very, very, very powerful. It is actually a very controversial verse in the Bible. Not because it's controversial to Christianity, but because of what it does in the first century to those listening. Look at the verse with me on the TV screen, if you will. Verse number 12. Salvation is found in no one else. Stop. I know you want to go on because there's yellow there and it's hard to not focus down on the, on, the, on the screen, but stop for a moment. Salvation is found in no one else. 
Now, I know 2,000 years removed from this event, this is not controversial, nor is it stirring much in the soul because we have accepted at Saulus Church that Jesus is the Savior of the world, right? That's why you came to church today, because you already believe that. At least, that's probably true about you. But this, in the first century, at the temple, was a powerful statement. Jews are practicing the sacrificial system given to them by by Moses. Moses gave them the law. Moses gave them the, 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 the priestly Levitical system by which they should be right with God. Or at least they should worship God because they were right with them through this system. That's what they knew. That's how they practiced. Now Peter, who is one of them, a Jew, and John says, here's the deal, guys. It's about Jesus. The whole system you've been doing, that's great up until now. But now it's about Jesus. He is the name by which miracles are done. He is the name by which salvation comes. That was not popular. Do you know why? These guys just killed him a little while ago. And then he says this. For there is no other name. Under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved. And again, I know 2,000 years removed from this verse, it doesn't register like it might have in the first century, but this was a powerful affirmation of who Jesus was. The baby born in Bethlehem is the name by which God has provided salvation. That's what Peter has just said to them. They don't like it. Not only was this controversial in Jerusalem and in Israel, this would have been controversial in the entire Roman Empire. For, for there were all kinds of pagan systems of worship in the first century. Caesar himself was declared God himself, or at least he thought of himself as God, right? For Peter to say there's only one way was totally, totally controversial. Now, what do the men do? What do the religious leaders do? I'm not going to read it to you today, but if, the, if you read the rest of the story, basically what they say is, I don't like what you're saying, and here's the deal. I want you to stop saying what you've been saying. Problem. These religious leaders understand and know that these two men, Peter and John, just were a part of healing someone that, were, that was crippled. They knew the crippled. They knew the guy. He'd been like that. He's, he's 42 years old. They saw him whole. They see him jumping and dancing. They have a problem on their hand. I don't like your message, Peter, but you just healed someone, Peter. I don't know what to do with you, Peter. The best they could come up with is stop speaking about the name here. So the story unfolds. Um, the, the believers that Peter and John are persecuted, they're reprimanded for their speech, and the story continues to unfold. Now, uh, Luke, in his, in his account of the story, takes a little bit of a, of a pause from the storyline. And so I'm going to skip a couple of parts of the next, uh, uh, next part of the verses following because I want to continue the storyline of how this unfolds. So what, what Luke records for us is after this event, the believers get together. They pray together. They begin to encourage one another through prayer. Uh, also, Luke records for us, the believers were together and they shared their possessions and they gave to anyone as they had need. In chapter 5, chapter 5 starts with the story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied about how much they had given to the disciples and they were killed on the spot and the moral of the story is don't lie. That's what I read. And then the story picks back up. 
In the middle of chapter 5, the apostles again are performing miraculous, or they're performing miracles. This is going to sound a little strange to us today in a very naturalistic, secularistic world in which we live, but it wasn't strange in the first century to read these these verses or, or, or hear these stories. What Luke records for us is the disciples went through towns and villages and streets and, 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 and they would pass by. And the shadow of Peter, if it fell on someone that was sick who was brought, actually would make that sick person well. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's miraculous and it's, it's out there, but it's, it's recorded history. And Luke is a historian who's giving us an account of what happened in the first century through the life of the disciples. And so we see these miraculous events occur as well. And the people are amazed at what they're seeing. Healings are so prevalent, they are so powerful, that, that, that again, there is a sense in Jerusalem, something significant has taken place. Enter again these religious leaders in chapter 5, verse 17. Let me just read to you what takes place next. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. I love this part of the story because I love when my side wins. I'm like, you lock them up in jail and they don't stay in jail. I love that part of the story just for some selfish, non-holy reason. I just love it. I love seeing them out now and this miracle takes place. And, and so this, this really awkward events, event transpires after this. <laughs> Look at the story. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. That is the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Think about this for a moment. What's going on in the name of Jesus through the disciples is such a big deal that the full body of elders, everyone who is decision-making in Israel, the Sanhedrin court, is brought together to, to deal with this problem in Jerusalem. So what happens? And they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked and with a guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then, verse 25, then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. It's a great statement, isn't it? I know you guys are really uncomfortable with what I'm saying, and I know you understand what's at stake if this guy is a Messiah and you killed him, but it really is not concerning to me. I have to tell the truth. Wow. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The boldness is profound. Standing before this group of people, this assembled body who had the power to kill them, they speak boldly of the name of Jesus. All right, now, all that to get to the place in the story that I think is so interesting. All right, so this part is so significant to the series and to what we need to to think through this morning that I want to go from here, I want to put it on the screen so we can all follow this together. So notice how the story unfolds over the next couple of verses. All right, so Peter, is just, Peter and John have just stated this publicly before this, this assembled body, that you killed him, but he was Messiah. Now what? Verse 33. When they heard this, of course, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Of course they did. But verse 34. But a Pharisee, now this, a Pharisee is, is a a. a, a a religious leader in the first century in Jerusalem who would have been a part of the Sanhedrin. Pharisees and Sadducees differed theologically on the resurrection of dead, of the dead and other, other uh, finer points of the law. But a Pharisee, a religious leader named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Gamaliel, honored by the entire Sanhedrin for one who had wisdom, begins to speak wisdom. What did he say? Verse number 35. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Here's the wisdom. Some time ago, now, hold on. If you were to say this word in English, it's thutis. All right, hold on, just hold on for that thought. Appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. There's a man who was existing before Jesus. His name was, in our world, it would be Thutis. But here's the thing. If his name's Thutis, there's no way he's the Savior. Yahweh would never send Thutis. I'm just saying it up front. There is no possible way Thutis was ever going to be the Savior, right? So this could not have been the way you pronounce his name. It's probably Theudas or Theudas. 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 Got to be the way you pronounce his name. Maybe failure dust came to save us, right? But he, but he showed up, right? 400 people followed him, and then he was killed. And then what happened after? Then everyone dispersed. All of his followers left him. The movement died with his death. Also, also, verse 37, he says, remember, and then after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. It's about as Christmas as it gets. And led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed. And all his followers were scattered. Gamaliel, speaking wisdom to the Sanhedrin, said, whoa, whoa, guys, guys, before you kill them, hold on a minute. Remember, this is not the first time someone has claimed to be the Messiah. This is not the first time that, that some name rose to this level of conversation about, is this the Messiah? It happened with Theudas, and it happened with Judas. Both of the, but, but guys, remember, they died. That moved, we're not talking about them anymore. So, here's his advice. Verse 38. Therefore... In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. 
You don't even have to worry. It will fall by the wayside. They will be a, one of the 108 billion people who after 140 years are no longer remembered. That's his advice. But, 39. If it's from God, you won't be able to stop it. If this is the name by which salvation comes, and we really have found the Messiah, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. You will only find yourself fighting against God. All right. Okay, so great advice. Gamaliel is a genius. What do they do? I love the rest of the story. Verse 40. <clears throat> His speech persuaded them. Good call, guys. <clears throat> so they called the apostles in and had them flogged. What? That's a weird part of the story. Like at this point, I like to see us win. And, and so Gamaliel convinces them it's a great idea not to do anything with them. And so the Sanhedrin goes, okay, okay, we'll listen to you. All right, bring them back in. All right, bring them What? Surely that's not how the story unfolds, but that's exactly how the story unfolds. They bring them in and they beat them. And then they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Like that was going to work. And they let them go. And then what happened? Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin (laughs) rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Greek word Christos. Its parallel word in Hebrew is Messiah. And here's the rest of the story. Remember, about 120 people were followers of Christ after his resurrection and ascension, something like that. On the day of Pentecost, it grew to 3,000 people. Here, when Peter performs the miracle for the crippled, the, the number of followers of the way, this Jesus, this name by which all men might be saved, grew to 5,000 people. What happened next? Well, in... Just a couple hundred years, it went from about 5,000. Some say 6 million. Others say as many as 30 million people. (laughs) Camellia was on to something. You're not going to be able to stop it. Do you know today, 2,000 years later, that Christianity is the largest religion in the world, even though I don't like the word religion to be attached to Christianity? Do you know that? 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 billion, depending on who you ask, Christians in the world today. Good call, Gamaliel. Spot on, my friend. You nailed it. Do you know that it's, it's the fastest growing religion in the world still today? I know that Islam likes to claim that it is, but it's actually not. Islam is growing faster because they're having more babies. That might be a message in and of itself to Christians. We're going to preach that one sometime in February when we do the family series, all right? It's okay to populate the planet. Different message. Christianity is still the fastest growing religion in the world today by conversion. More people are coming to Christ than any other religion in the world. Now, some of you who are thinkers out there with me would say, well, does that prove that Jesus was the Christ? You ready? No, it doesn't. 
it doesn't prove that he is the name by which all men might be saved. That's true. Do you know that, that Mormonism is also a very uh, fast-growing um, uh, uh, religion or sect in, in, in the world today? Do you know that atheism is, was, is said to be one of the fastest-growing religions, even though it's a-religious or non-religious in the world today? Do you know that? Just because something grows fast does not necessarily mean that it is from God. And now I'm going to do something that you're going to be really disappointed in. I'm actually going to stop the message right here. Doesn't that feel terribly awkward? Like, that's it? Like, I showed up today and I got a history lesson and I learned about this name deal and you just told me Jesus may or may not be the Messiah? That's a little awkward. It's Christmas. Don't you need to carry this on a little further today? No. No, that's it. And here's why. Because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to discover together exactly what Peter meant by saying that he is the name that is above all names, that he is the name by which my men might be saved. So you've got to come back. You've got to come back. But here's what I want to do in closing just for a moment. I want us to pause for a moment to consider just what we've learned so far. So best way I know to do that, just kind of just bow our heads and close our eyes just so we can ponder for a moment what we just took in. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solidchurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.